tonight we are going to be in Jeremiah 23 to start off. We're going to go to a lot of different places, um, but we'll start in Jeremiah 23. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Across student ministries and young adults, we're doing this series called Knowledge of the Holy, the Character and Attributes of God. And specifically in this series, where we're at right now, is we're looking at this three-legged stool of God's sovereignty, which we've said is God's exercise of his holy rule over creation. And we said that we witness or we perceive his sovereignty through three primary attributes of God, two of which you've already seen. Brooklyn talked to you about omnipotence, and then last week John walked you through omniscience. And so tonight, we will look at the third leg of that stool, God's omnipresence. And just at the top, I want to give you a quick hand, just way to think about God's omnipresence. Um, because I understand I can be boring, and so if you check out, like, that's fine, but I just want you to know up front what we're talking about. So, God, God's omnipresence means this. It means that God at all times, is everywhere and nowhere. God's omnipresence means that God is everywhere and nowhere. Now, how does that work? Well, with the Lord's help, we're going to see. Here's a slide, these nifty slides we've been doing. Omnipresence, you can see some pretty decent um, definitions by some secular websites. But here's our doctrine. Here's what we want to say. This is the long way to say what I just said. Because he is creator of all things, and thus outside of all that he has made, God's power and knowledge extend to all parts of his creation. Therefore, God is present everywhere and nowhere all the time. Now, before diving in further into what omnipresence means, we need to be really clear on what it does not mean. Get some hurdles out of the way, say this is what it doesn't mean, so that we can be clear-eyed, focused, on what it does mean. Here's the first thing God's omnipresence is not. God's omnipresence is not pantheism. You may know what pantheism is. You may not know. Pan means all. Theo means God. And so all God. Pantheism is the belief that God is in everything. That God is a mystical force that pervades all that he has made. And so everything, really everything in creation is itself God. The Christian understanding of God's omnipresence is not that. It is not the belief that God is in all things. God is not some mystical force that pervades everything. God's being everywhere does not mean that he is in your cat or trees or the chair you're sitting on. God's being everywhere, his presence everywhere, is not his presence in everything. And that's an important distinction to understand. Otherwise, everything in creation, from your shoelace to a chair, would be God. And that's absurd. Number two thing we need to understand that God's omnipresence is not. God is not divided throughout creation. So we say that God is everywhere, but he's not everywhere because he's divvied himself up and placed himself Everywhere. God is not this cosmic, gigantic pie chart or pie graph where he's just perfectly sliced little slivers of himself and then placed a little bit of himself here, a little bit of himself here. This place really needs a lot of God, so 50% of him goes here. That is not how God is everywhere. Wherever God is, all of him is. His full self is. His whole self is. God is everywhere all the time in the same way as his full self. So, 
with those clarifications out of the way, we can now ask, what does omnipresence mean? Well, as we said, it means that God is present everywhere and nowhere at all times. Omnipresence describes the way God exists in relation to the space that he has created. So God has created space, matter, material, and omnipresence is how we talk about how God spatially relates to it, how he exists spatially in relation to it. Because God created all things, he is outside of all things. We saw that with his aseity. He does not exist on the same, uh, same plane as those things he has created. God is outside of time and matter. Think about your phone. You exist outside of your phone. Your parents may not think you do, but you actually do. You exist outside of your phone. You are, in a very real sense, on an entirely different plane of reality than what goes on inside the apps on your phone. And yet, you can interact in those worlds. You like, you share, you slide into the DMs on your phone. You are outside of it, existing on an entirely different plane of reality, and yet you interact all the time. You carry your presence through your phones into that phone, or through your fingers into that phone. Your presence, in a sense, exists inside the phone while you yourself exist outside of it. Now, all analogies with God fall apart at some point, and this one might do so very quickly. And yet, it is similar with God and his presence with what he has made. He is outside of time and matter, existing on an entirely different plane of reality, just like you outside of your phone. Because that is the case, neither space nor location can be attributed to God. Space itself is created and therefore is only a true thing about created beings. So God is not confined to a singular place and is therefore nowhere because aware is a created thing and God is outside of all things. And yet he very much operates within the creation he has made, similar to you and your phone. God exists outside of what he has made, but he also goes into it and acts within it. But not only that, it is not that God just pops in sometimes. Unlike you and your phone, God's presence does not only reside in creation every so often like yours does in your phone when you unlock the home screen. God is outside of creation, existing on a wholly other plane, and yet in his grace has filled all of creation with himself. While you can be active only in one app at a time, doing one thing at a time, God is equally and fully in all places at all times. He has poured his presence into creation to overflowing. God is nowhere in that he is not in a singular place existing outside of all places, while he is also everywhere in that he has entered into the creation he has made by filling it to the full with his presence. So God infinitely transcends all space and location. He cannot be contained within it. God's being is of such immensity that it cannot be confined even to all that he has made, and he has made a whole heck of a lot. His being is so great that when he pours his presence to fill every nook and cranny of it, it fills to overflowing. In a very real sense, as one of my favorite theologians 
Augustine says, God is uniquely a place of his own to himself. Within himself, he is holy everywhere. God is not confined to a place or location. He just is. He just exists. He is his own place. And yet, while that remains true, he has filled every space and location in the cosmos with himself. And so when we ask, where is God? When we ask that question or people ask us, where's God? The answer paradoxically is that God is everywhere and God is nowhere. He is everywhere and that his immensity of his being fills all of creation. There is not a speck of creation where the presence of God is not. His being floods all that he has made. He has filled it to overflowing with his presence. God is everywhere. But because he's not a creature, he is not confined to a space or location. While filling all places and locations, he remains outside of all places and locations, existing as himself. He is side by side with time and space and everything he's made on a wholly other plane of existence. And so in an equally real sense, God is nowhere. God is everywhere immensely and nowhere specifically. Augustine, my boy, again says, to discover where he is is hard, to discover where he is not is even harder. And so when we say that God is omnipresent, when we say God is everywhere and nowhere at all times, we are attempting to describe how God is in relation to the space and matter that he has made. And what we have to say is that God is everywhere and that his immensity fills creation, while also saying that he is nowhere in the sense that he is not confined to a specific place or location, because those are creaturely realities. God simply is. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere and also nowhere at all times. Like most of the incommunicable attributes, you know, we're in the incommunicable attributes, the ones that can't be shared by us, and really all the communicable when you get to what they actually represent. This, pre this stretches our minds to the point of breaking. Our vocabularies, when we discuss really anything about God, but particularly here at the omnis, breaks. It, it forces us to reckon with the fact that while God is knowable, he has made himself known, he is knowable, he is incomprehensible. He is far beyond our understanding. He is not something we can wrap our heads around. God is not something to be studied under a microscope or in a Petri dish. God is God. He is holy. He is to be awed at. And so it is good to remind ourselves here, staring at his omnipresence, that we are just finite creatures, bumbling around with finite words, attempting to describe the infinite one and how he exists in relation to us. Our language is going to fall horribly short. It is going to be incomplete. We are right to try to speak about God's omnipresence, but we must remember that however best we can explain it, our words will fall woefully short of the reality. He is far, far, far beyond us. And his omnipresence, maybe even more than of the other omnis, I actually think more than the other omnis, screams the fact in our faces. God is everywhere and nowhere. Who can fathom him? All that being said, it is right that we speak about God. We would not be having this series if it wasn't. But if we want to be as accurate as possible when we talk about God, when we talk about God's omnipresence, we will not be content 
with what a bum like Zach Hollyfield or even the great Augustine has to say about it. God in his grace has given us words to say about himself. God, the infinite one, who is far off, has given us a book. He has picked out the exact language he wants us to have to talk about these incomprehensible realities. And so we should probably go and look at it. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23. We're going to start in Jeremiah 23 and talk about it a little bit. And then what I want to do is read off, I think there's four or five other passages in Scripture, and I hope that accomplishes two things. First, what I hope it does is to show you that, like all the other attributes, God's omnipresence is not just like a one-off text in the Bible. That like, oh, that says God's omnipresent, so we're good with it. It's pervasive. It itself is omnipresent in Scripture. So I hope it assures you of that, but more so what I really hope after we look at Jeremiah 23, when we read through these other passages, you're going to notice they talk about the same reality but in different ways. And so my prayer has been that one of them would just grab hold of you. Because the point of tonight is not for us to know what the correct answer on an exam is. That's such a waste of time. The point of tonight is for us to be gripped with the reality of God. To, to stare at his omnipresence and be, oh my. To come away like Job, hand over our mouth. Who am I in relation to him? And so my hope is that one of the scripture passages would connect with your heart. I'm not going to assume it's going to be Jeremiah 23. Hope it is, but maybe another one. And so that's why we'll read some more. But let's start with Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven or heaven and earth? declares the Lord. This is one of the clearest statements we have about God's omnipresence in Scripture. God asks rhetorically and sarcastically, am I a God at hand or up close or nearby and not a God far away or far off? In other words, God is asking, am I a God who is tied down to a specific place? Am I not a God who is near and who is far and who is everywhere in between? And God answers his own question with another sarcastic question. Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him? And of course, the reader knows, we know, the answer is no. There is no secret place to God. Why? Well, God answers again with another question. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Yahweh, the Lord, is not a God who is only near and not far off. He is also not a God who is only far off and is not near. God is everywhere. There are no secret places for him because he is in all places. His being is so immense that it fills the earth, but not only the earth. He says heaven. But the Hebrew word there for heaven is plural. And so God is not talking about the floaty, cloudy place that we think of when we use the word heaven so the translation should actually be, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And so the question is, well, are there multiple heavens? No. The heavens are how the ancients discussed what we call outer space or the universe. And so God is saying that he fills our entire planet, which is so large 
and moving at such a high speed we don't even feel it. That's how big our planet is, and yet it is so, so, so small in relation to the heavens. God fills the earth, but he fills the universe. He fills the universe. The universe, the the, the reaches of which we have not found the end of yet. It cannot contain him. His presence spills out of them. He overflows the cosmos. His being, his immensity would overflow a hundred billion cosmoses. And that's a random number to pick. A Googleplex of cosmoses could not contain the immensity of God's being. He would fill it all. There is no nook or cranny where God is not. There is no place a man can go and hide. He is nowhere in that he is not confined to a specific place. He exists outside of it all. He is everywhere at all times, filling every last speck of all that he has made, and he overflows it. It doesn't come close to capturing the fullness that he is. As Scripture puts it, he fills, fills the heavens and the earth. God is omnipresent. This is how the Bible, much better than Augustine and way, way better than me, puts it. It's how it says that God is omnipresent. Here are some other ways it says it as well. I'm just going to read through these slowly. 1 Kings eight twenty seven. This is David talking to God in a prayer. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven, the highest heaven, like the farthest reaches of our universe, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you can build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So God inhabits eternity. He is in the high and holy place and with those who are downtrodden in the dust. Amos 9, 2 through 4. I'm going to warn you, this one gets dark. If they dig into Sheol, which is the place of the dead, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. When I first read this passage, I was like, oh man, this is so encouraging. Like I could be in the place of the dead. I could be up in the heavens and Yahweh's going to come after me. Hold on. If they hide themselves on the top of Mount Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And I began to be like, well, search them out. Take them? That's a little intensive language, God. But okay, you're coming and finding us like the lost sheep. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. So that escalated quickly, but it still gets at the reality. God is omnipresent. 
His being cannot be outrun, which means his love cannot be outrun, but also his judgment. This is a judgment passage on a nation, and it cannot be outrun. They can hide in the places of the dead. They can go up to the heavens. They can go on Mount Carmel. They can go to the bottom of the sea, and God's judgment will find them because he's there. God is omnipresent. God's omnipresence is not a doctrine that humans have reasoned up about God. It isn't a truth we've come to by thinking about God and like being in a room and some smart theologians being like, well, philosophically, if he's going to be God, he'd have to be everywhere. No, this is a clear teaching of Scripture. God's immensity floods every square inch of all that he has made. He is everywhere at all times while not being confined to any space or location. He fills the heavens and the earth. God is omnipresent. Now, so what? Who cares? You should ask that question every talk in this series, especially the incommunicable attributes. Who cares what God is like? It doesn't have anything to do with you. God's everywhere and nowhere. What even does that mean? Who cares? So what? If you're honest, that's what I would be asking. Who cares? So what? What is God's having to be everywhere? What does that have to do with me? Here's three things. God is every, God, the God who is everywhere is not far from you, but right where you are, he is present by you. And one of the main reasons God has set up creation that way is so that you might reach out and find him. Now, how do I know that? Acts 17, 24 through 27. You've been in this passage before and we're going to look at it again. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. So catch that. God has no dwelling place that he resides in and constricted to. But he has determined the dwelling places of all nations that he has made, entire people groups, millions and millions and millions of people. He's determined you're going to live there. But here's the reason. That, or so that, or for this reason, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. The God whose being transcends creation has condescended. He has stooped down to fill it with his presence so that for the purpose of him being near you, near to each and every creature that he has made, and not for nothing, not just to be a generally, hey, we're around each other, but so that we might discover him and know him, the God of the universe, who is so high and mighty that the earth is his footstool, wants to be known by you, so much so that he has flooded his presence into the universe so that he would be near you and you would never not be near him. And so here's what that means. God is here right now. He is among us. Right here, right now. He has drawn you to this place so that you would hear that statement. So that you would reach out, grope, and know him. 
either for the first time and be saved by your creator who loves you or to grow in knowledge of him. He so desperately wants to know you. He has flooded a creation for that purpose. Because God is omnipresent, seek him and find him. Number two, you cannot run from God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah... Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And we all know how the story goes. Jonah is not able to flee the presence of the Lord. He gets on a boat and God is there and causes a storm. He volunteers to be thrown overboard because he knows he's the reason for the storm. And some scholars think because he would rather die in the stormy waves than to actually have to go to Nineveh. And so he's thrown over sea, or overboard into the sea and God is there. And God provides a big fish large enough to swallow him while preserving his life. Jonah is now in the belly of a fish and you know who is also there? God. And they have a conversation. Jonah is spat onto land. He goes to preach to Nineveh, which should have been his death because of how much Nineveh hated Israel, and he doesn't die. He's preserved, and all of Nineveh repents. Why? Because God was at Nineveh. Jonah leaves Nineveh, butthurt, because he didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted them to be crushed, but God saved them. And you know who's there to be complained to? God. Jonah tries to flee the presence of Yahweh and is not able. Everywhere he goes, God is there. Try as we might, we cannot run from God's presence. And it's not because he's fast enough to keep up with us. It's not because we run out of stamina at some point because we're humans, but he's God and so he never tires. We never get so much as a millimeter as a lead out in front of him. He doesn't even have to chase us. He is waiting on us wherever we are going and is alongside us as we run there because there is no place where he is not. He can't be left in one place like Jonah thought because God isn't in a specific place to be run from. He is nowhere while being everywhere, whether it's Israel or Joppa or Tarshish or Nineveh or on the way to any of those places. He is everywhere at all times, which means you are not running from God even if you think that's exactly what you're doing. His presence cannot be escaped by you. He is just as much by you right now as he was before you tried to flee. God is just as much by you. You need to know this. God is just as much by you in your greatest, most repetitive act of rebellion as your greatest act of obedience. He is no more present by you when you're obedient than when you're disobedient. When you stumble or when you just full-fled run away, he is there. He can't be left. He's everywhere. Like Jonah, even our blatant sin, our blatant efforts, and even our indifference cannot cause God to leave. 
He loves you far too much to let you be somewhere he is not. And so he fills creation with himself to make it impossible for you to ever be where he isn't. Wherever you run and wherever you go, he's going to be there because he is everywhere at all times. He is omnipresent. Finally, sometimes, maybe even most times, I might say most times, it can feel like in the Christian life that God is far away. Maybe we've sinned again in a familiar way that we just cannot seem to get over, or maybe a tragedy strikes. Whatever it may be, we find ourselves in a place where it seems that God is absent. Like, like maybe he's abandoned us. Like, sure, Zach, like God is everywhere, but maybe everywhere but here. Like, he can't be here. How could he be here in this low place? It doesn't feel like it. There are many times in your Christian life you're going to feel that way. God's omnipresence is a rock in those days that assures us that that is not the case. That despite whatever your perceptions of the situation may be, he has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He is not distant or far away, though that's exactly how you feel because he is everywhere. Look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be about, about, about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Ascend to heaven or descend to the place of the dead. God is with you. Go to the uttermost recesses of the sea and the farthest reaches of the horizon. God is with you. In the darkest of night, in the brightest of day, God is with you. He cannot be otherwise. He is everywhere and nowhere. His omnipresence assures it. He is not far. He has not left you. As a final word, I hope this isn't the case, but it may feel as though God's omnipresence is a little bit impersonal, just a touch. Sure, he's everywhere and nowhere. That's like fancy talk. Sure, wherever I go, he's going to be there. But he fills creation in the same way. Like he's everywhere in all places in the same way. And so when we say he's everywhere and nowhere at all times, what we're saying is he's beside me just like he's beside the rock outside. Not Dwayne Johnson, although it's also true about Dwayne Johnson. That feels a little impersonal. That God would, his presence, omnipresence, would be just as true for a rock or a mountain as me. It's okay if it feels that way. I think God agrees. Actually, I know that God agrees. God himself was not content with filling all of creation with his presence generally. In fact, while that in and of itself is a gracious gift, as we just have talked about, that was never his ultimate goal. God has good purposes for filling all of creation generally, but his great desire is to fill individuals personally. And in Jesus Christ, he has made that possible. The entire reason God the Son, member of the Trinity, came in the flesh as Jesus 
was to live a perfect life that we could not and would not. It was to die a death that paid for the debt our sin had racked up. And it was to rise again in order to defeat death. The whole reason for that was to enable you, to enable me, to be filled with his very own presence, the Holy Spirit, also member of the Trinity. God's purpose from before he created a thing was to come himself to do everything required for his presence to no longer reside around you, but to reside inside of you. God does exist everywhere in a general way, but what he wants is to fill you personally, is to dwell in you personally. And if you've trusted in Christ, whether you're aware of this fact or tap into it or not, if you have trusted in Christ, or if you want to tonight, and you've received his free gift of salvation, that is true of you right now. It has always been, it will always and forever be, and it cannot be forfeited. For you, Christian, God is everywhere immensely and nowhere specifically while being somewhere personally within you. God is everywhere and nowhere at all times. He fills the heavens and the earth He is close and far and everywhere in between. He is near to each one of us. He cannot thank him. He cannot be escaped. You will never find yourself in a place God is not. And now in Christ, he fills you personally by his Holy Spirit. Praise the omnipresent one. Let's pray. Lord, we... We even hesitate to offer words. We are just overcome with your graciousness to not only fill creation in a general way where we are just surrounded by you and cannot escape that fact, but that, Lord, you have upped the ante and gone further for your ultimate purpose to fill each and every one of us. And so we praise you for opening our eyes to see your son and what he has done for us. And we praise you that your spirit fills us. And we thank you that that cannot be lost. God, I pray that if there are people in this room right now who don't know that gift, who have not um, received the salvation you freely offer, that they would, and they would bring that up in their small group, and they would come to know you, and therefore have the ultimate goal of the universe happen inside of them. You would fill your creation personally. And I pray for believers that they would be encouraged in that fact. Thank you for your love for us, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.